0: Welcome to Trinity Church, and we are uh, continuing our study through the body of the epistle of uh, Colossians. And uh, picking up where we, DJ left off last week, I apologize to you guys, I tried to come up with 20 points, I fell short, we only got 5 today, we've, we've given DJ a couple weeks off, he, he's promised to come up with 30 next time. <laughs> And uh, so so, you have a couple weeks to wait for that one. But uh, we're continuing where he uh, left off uh, last week in Colossians 3, and uh, we're talking about what to put off, and uh, today we've got the uh, flip side to that, what needs to be uh, put on. And uh, these uh, verses were never designed to be divorced from what we talked about last week, In putting off, it's not enough to just put off the vices of sexual immorality, impurity, uh, passion, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander that we talked about last week. We have to put on the virtues we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, If you don't put on these virtues, you will just. Put back on those vices, uh, DJ uh, talked to us about uh, last week. And uh, as you m- might know, everyone knows that just telling somebody to stop thinking about something doesn't work too well. Usually that just causes, well, you told me not to think about that. Well, now I'm only, I can't get it out of my mind. Just telling, no. You know, knock it off. Don't think about it. Don't do that. It doesn't work. You have to replace it with something else. Um, I've tried telling people to just stop thinking about things. Hasn't worked too well. One of my more recent um, examples of this is telling Hosanna to stop thinking about her doll, Josefina. Uh, lost a leg. The leg fell off. And just telling her to stop thinking about it uh, didn't work too well. Uh, she cried every morning about, and, and it, just didn't, it just didn't work to say, oh, well, don't worry about it. She still has one leg and two arms. Like, I, I don't see what the problem is. It's not like she could walk anyways, right? Uh, it, and it just, you know, it was a reminder of, you know, even if you down here, but, but her leg is up there. Just telling her to stop thinking about it didn't work. I had to do something, replace those thoughts with other thoughts. I mean, we, we thought about everything, including a funeral for Josefina, <laughs> replaced with somebody who looks like, which is a weird concept. Um, thought about getting her crutches set, but not sure if the replacement thoughts there would, you know, still, like, when is she going to heal? Well, never. Um, I eventually broke down, as I told you guys in community group, and uh, did what I... That I would never would do, and sent her to the doll hospital. So, I uh, had to replace those thoughts of Josefina's tragic state with other thoughts now of excitement and waiting for her to return and wondering what she's doing now. Obviously, in rehab and uh, looking at Hosanna's picture of her. Um, but that, that's the put off, put on rhythm. Uh, we see in this text. Let's uh, tur- turn with me to uh, Colossians 3. Starting with the verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, So you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body And be thankful. Let's pray Father God, we need to hear from you We need to have your word through your spirit speak to us I have nothing to say Apart from what you speak, I pray that you would speak to us, that we would be changed uh, through this time together because of your work in us. In Christ's name and for His glory, Amen. If you didn't get a listening guide, uh, just lift your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Alex uh, is looking for to give a listening guide to someone here, and uh, it will help uh, guide us through. Uh, Listening today, give you the points uh, for the sermon and a place to take notes. But as you saw in the passage here, talking about what to put on, uh, Paul is calling Christians to be clothed in character, which reflects their renewed image of God. Look back, one of DJ's verses from last week, uh, verse 9b, Here it says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here in our verses, Paul expands on and gives the details as to what it means to put on the new self, the renewed image of the creator. What what does that mean? Paul explains that in this passage. This renewed image of God would instantly cause um, the original readers of this letter to think back to Genesis, to the the Torah, where it it all began. And where Moses writes, through the inspiration of the Spirit, Genesis chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From the beginning, God designed humans to reflect him, to image him. God uh, gave humans this world to rule over in God's stead. In a sense, man was designed to be co-regents of God. And unfortunately, in terms of ruling in God's stead, uh, people haven't done too well. The Old Testament uh, recounts those uh, failures. And until we get to Jesus where tables turn and Jesus does perfectly image God rule over God's world as God designed it to be. And uh, as those who are in Christ, if you're a Christian here today, and uh, this epistle directed to the Christians in Colossae, we are called to image God we bear God's image. We are exhorted to be clothed in his attributes. We are called to lead lives which reflect this restored image of God in us. So that, that kind of sets the stage for what virtues uh, God is calling us to put on in this passage. So, so how does that work? What, what does that look like? Well, let's work our way through uh, this passage. Verse 12, again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Well, let's stop right there. And uh, first point is that in order to reflect our restored image of God, we must root the imperatives in the indicative. And, and that's what Paul does here. This is not some grammatical play on words Play on terms. Paul starts off his command to put to put on with, as you see, recounting that they are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. These commands are rooted in what God has made us—the identity God has called us into: chosen, holy, beloved. This language echoes Old Testament language about the nation of Israel. Let me read one passage. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 and 7, where uh, Moses proclaims, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath which he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So just a refresher on the story of Israel and Israel's election in the Old Testament. They weren't seeking it. They weren't looking to be God's chosen people. It wasn't because, as this passage said, it wasn't because they were more in number than the other nations around. It wasn't because they were more desirable, more obedient than the other nations. No, even Abraham Abraham worshipped idols at the time God called him. And his family line was headed toward extinction. It was just based on God's choice. As it says, and here in Deuteronomy, it says the basis for that election, God choosing Israel, was God's love. And it wasn't anything desirable in Israel. It was God chose to love Israel. And God is God, and God can choose to love whomever God chooses to love. A little later in Deuteronomy chapter 14, it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So they're holy, set apart. This is a result of Election, nothing special in them over the other nations on the planet. Absolutely no room for boasting then for the nation of Israel, as it wasn't something that they brought about by their own effort or deserved. It was solely God in His love choosing them. And even in this New Testament time, so fast forward. Uh, Hundreds of years to New Testament time. Being God's chosen people, holy, beloved, uh, this was a desirable thing. The Qumran uh, community uh, considered themselves to be God's chosen people. And, And get this, what Paul is announcing here is that that identity of God's chosen people belongs to the Colossian believers. They are full participants in the promises to Israel. They are true Israel over and against what the false teachers would be proclaiming. The false teachers saying that, no, 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 we're chosen, holy, beloved, and you need to become more like us to gain that status. No, these Colossian believers, they are Israel reformed, not according to ethnicity, but around belief in Jesus and union to him. Paul called the Colossians holy and faithful all the way back in uh, chapter 1, verse 2. But now there's even more significance to it as the content of this letter has developed. And he's building on uh, verse 11 uh, from last week that this is new humanity, better humanity under the new Adam, not divided by ethnicity, physical markings, economic status any longer, but united around Jesus and the identity he has brought them into. So so before we even get into the the virtues later on in uh, this verse, let me ask a question today, are you delighting? in, if you are a Christian here today, in being God's chosen people, holy, beloved? Are you delighting in the fact that God set his love upon you in God's election? An election is not a doctrine primarily to educate the, quote-unquote, less theologically astute it's not a doctrine on the flip side to hide and hope no one notices. It's, it's certainly not a doctrine to use in it as an excuse for us not to be sharing the, the good news with our neighbors and friends and co-workers. It's a doctrine that is designed to cause us to worship. It's to lead to us to value God above all else. We did nothing to deserve this identity Jesus has given us. There is nothing special in and of us. God did not in any way, shape, or form foresee our obedience and how great of a people. That is absolutely not the truth. It's the opposite of that, that God just set his love upon us, calling us beloved, chosen, holy, holy. We are God's chosen people, true Israel. Are you delighting in that? Are you enjoying God because of that status he has brought you into? And this identity roots the imperatives throughout the rest of this passage. It's not because well, we don't obey because we have to, it's because we get to live out this new identity Jesus has brought us into. So, second half of verse 12. Let's keep going. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So, also, you must forgive. So, in order to reflect our restored image of God, we must be clothed with virtue. Paul lists a fivefold list of virtue here and then uh, focuses in on forgiveness. Well, let's work our way uh, through uh, these uh, terms. A first one here is uh, compassionate hearts. A Literally, means inward body parts of compassion. The KJV translates this, bowels of mercy. Uh, that's a good term. Um, and in ancient times, the inward body parts were viewed as uh, the seat of emotions. Idea of uh, deeply felt. There's this emotive a thought to it. And uh, similar to how we use uh, the word heart today, hence, you know, compassionate hearts, hearts of compassion, or love characterized by compassion. Next word you see here is kindness. This virtue is often ascribed to God. Sometimes also translated goodness. It may be broad but uh, certainly isn't without meaning as it is the kindness of God uh, who brought us to repentance and faith. In kindness, the Father sent the Son down to live on this world and die in our place. That that certainly is not without meaning. The next one, humility, which in ancient culture kind of got a mixed rap. So in one sense, it wasn't considered desirable to be considered a slave, a servant. Uh, as in, you know, sometimes in churches these days, that's, you know, a cool term, you know, want to be servant leaders, uh, tossed out. Well, that, that wasn't really a category for, they didn't want to be servants, did not want to be slaves. At the same time, though, the false teachers as you remember back a few weeks earlier, you know, they were uh, claiming that, you know, they, that this virtue applied to them, that they were humble due to their ascetic practices. Paul is, is telling the Colossian believers here that God is interested in true humility. This is not pride disguised as humility to gain the praise of men like the false teachers were doing. This is humility that is only concerned about pleasing God and what God thinks. This is fasting, giving, prayer, hoping that no one will see, not fasting to be seen of man. This is ministering to those who can't repay, not focusing in on those who can provide something in return. Next one here is uh, meekness or gentleness, as some of you might have in your Bibles. If you are not overly concerned about how, how you appear to others, this affects how you relate to other people. Uh, think of this as helping a friend grow instead of condemning that person as unfixable due to his or her flaws in life and character. Last one of this five-fold list, patience. Able to bear up under provocation while remaining tranquil, waiting for God to work, which doesn't happen uh, on my schedule. This isn't a comprehensive list, this five-fold list of virtue. Paul goes, and I could... We could say a whole lot more. We could do a sermon on each of them. And uh, Paul gives a a longer list, as we read earlier, in uh, Galatians 5, in the fruit of the Spirit. But where is he getting this from? Really, he's ripping this off from God and God's character. Um, Exodus 32-34, through in in the context of uh, Moses interceding, Uh, for the people after their sin, which rightfully deserves God's uh, judgment. Moses writes, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. This is who God is, and God is calling us to image him. Let's stop right there and ask the question, which of these virtues do I see lacking in my life? Which of these is God developing? And I need to pray to that end and work to that end by the power of the Spirit that God would form in me. Think about that. And as we keep going here, it gets deeper. We'll look at verse 13 again. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So, focuses in on forgiveness. Which qualifies as another virtue, but why the big deal about forgiveness. Why all the airtime to forgiveness when the others here are just listed off? And it leads to the deeper truth that these virtues were meant to be cultivated in community, specifically the community of the church. And forgiveness is a test of virtue in the context of this Christian, this gospel community. It's rooted in and motivated by Jesus' forgiveness of us. When we don't practice this fivefold list of virtue, or when others in the church don't practice that in relation to us, we're going to desperately need this virtue of forgiveness. Bearing with one another the idea of joyfully putting up with each other of forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another that that's us well you know, let's not be so churchy everything's perfect to not realize that that's where we find ourselves in this passage that we are all kinds of people with differences that go, you know, far beyond what team you're cheering for in the Super Bowl tonight or what team you wish made it to the Super Bowl tonight that we are a people of distinct backgrounds, economic statuses, ethnicities. We have clashing personalities, varying perceptions and thoughts concerning events and happenings going on in our world today and we are called to live in community united by Jesus we're going to desperately need forgiveness and it says as the lord has forgiven you again the imperative rooting the uh, rooted in the indicative this empowerment and motivation to forgive even tremendously hurtful wrongs against us is found in Jesus and how richly he has uh, forgiven us. Think about this. If you are not putting up with a person or people in the church uh, with, with whom you do not, would not usually associate Associate, you do not understand the radical unity brought about by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If no one in the church gets under your skin, if you've never been hurt deeply by church members, those who claim the name of Christ, who you love, you do not understand the church. Your conception of what God designed the church to be is way off. The only way to avoid being hurt, inconvenienced, irritated, annoyed by others in the church is to just attend church, not to be the church, not to join with the church and be united together with other uh, believers in one body. Let's look at the virtues Paul, Paul just mentioned. And there is a drastic difference between just going to church and actually being the church. In the context of going to church, well, what does that mean for compassion? That, that means putting a 20 in the plate to help kids in Africa. Kindness, kindness, probably scooting over to let other people sit next to you and take the seat you originally designed to be your seat. Humility. What does that look like in just attending church? That's maybe asking someone how their week was. You know, not just focusing on myself, but asking somebody else. Patience is not getting upset at how long it takes to get to that door and get to my car, and get out after church. Forgiveness, uh, not holding it against the church that, well, this sermon series doesn't really apply to me, but you know what? I'm going to forgive and not hold it against the church. However, in the context of being the church, living in relation to one another within the church, Compassion is getting in each other's business in the church, sympathizing, empathizing with the struggles of others. Kindness is inviting that church member over with whom you think we're going to have nothing to talk about. We have no likes or even dislikes that seem to be in common, but inviting that person over because you have everything in common, because. You are in Christ called to be one body together in Him. You know, humility is rejoicing in the highs of others, even when it kind of seems, man, their lows seem even better than my highs in community group. Gentleness is a helping the, the individual fight sin. For example, maybe the sin of drunkenness. Uh, Not by just saying, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you. That's the way to attend church, to go to church. But on the flip side, if you're going to be the church, it's holding that person accountable, even willing to do what seems to be not loving, but is true love and pursue the steps of church discipline because you love that brother or sister in Christ. And patience is waiting for God to sanctify even when it sure seems like it's taken way too long for God to sanctify that brother or sister in Jesus. You know, forgiveness is when you've been wronged enough to feel like you, it's, it's fine. I could say peace out to this church. I could leave right now but you, you stay. You, out of love for others, you, you forgive. Uh, you, you feel, you know, the way people have treated you, you feel like, I, I don't have to stay, but you forgive and restore relationships. One sounds a whole lot easier, a whole lot more tidy than the others. Just, Coming to church, just, um, just doing the basics of, you know, compassion, really in relation to myself, not in relation to the church, and what we are called in this passage is to practice the one another's that this compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, it is designed to be practiced within. The Church, to one another in deep gospel community, if this is something that seems completely foreign to you uh, after the service, uh, grab myself D j Tom, or someone else we 'd love to talk to you about this. Most people in even within American Christianity do not understand this they are all about going to church, not about being the church. They're all about cultivating these virtues, me by myself, at home, in a closet, but not about cultivating them in the community of the church. And if you do understand this, are you practicing these virtues in community? Are you particularly, are you forgiving one another as Jesus has forgiven you. That's difficult. That's not easy. Uh, Take this week to think about it. Let's talk about it in community group. Verse 14. Paul adds another virtue. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Literally, And upon all these, add love. The imagery here is putting love over all the other clothing that Paul has just commanded us to put on. Love is one of the virtues, but this highlights its significance in the wardrobe and has the special quality of binding together. It's a unifying, bonding force of all the other virtues. It says, which is the bond of perfection? This this genitive here is, uh, I believe, qualitative, indicating purpose, result, bond that leads to perfection, maturity. Remember back to chapter 1, verse 28, you know, Paul worked hard in warning and teaching to present everyone mature in Christ. And now we see that this maturity doesn't just happen by myself, reading my Bible at home. it happens in the context of the church, that what God has taught me, now we're certainly not against your know, Bible reading, prayer, fasting on your own, but it needs to translate over into how we relate with each other as a body of believers. We as Trinity Church will never be a mature church, mature body of believers, unless love unifies our practice of the other virtues. Compassion will be a hoax without love. Kindness will be misguided without love. Humility is really hypocrisy without love. Meekness, gentleness will be empty without love. Patience will be short-lived without love and forgiveness is not truly possible without love. So question for you, do you love Trinity Church? Now, not do you love the name Trinity Church, not do you love this building. It's a nice building, but Trinity Church exists, even if this building weren't here. Not do you love the structures, do you love our rhythm of church life? Do you love the people of Trinity Church that make up our church? And how can you cultivate that love which brings together all the other virtues Paul has commanded us to practice in this passage? And this love leads to us being ruled by God's peace. Let's pick it up in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So in order to reflect our restored image of God, we must be ruled by the peace of God. This is not the individual quality of, someone might say, hey, I I have peace with this decision. I, I feel peace Inside this, this is peace that embraces the whole person. The peace of Christ is the sphere in which the new man, this true Israel, the Colossian believers live, and says, Rule that the peace of Christ is the subject and it is doing the ruling. That, That means we're not the ones in control here, we're not the ones. Ruling. We're the ones receiving the action. We are being ruled by this peace. I love how Seitz uh, uh, says it Christ peace is the umpire of, the, of our affairs in the one body. Idea is that it's a, the factor placed above other concerns, interests uh, when settling Christian disagreements within the church. So how do you make the peace of Christ, the umpire of affairs within the church? How, how do we give it such prominence? Well, first of all, rejoicing together that Jesus has made us at peace with God through Jesus' own blood. And that should lead to us preferring one another, the whole body working together for this peace, not the idea of a, of everyone just falling over for a couple individual, vocal individuals who seek to rule Jesus's church, but the idea that the whole body is working together for this peace, striving for the peace of God. And that means all our dislikes and likes Preferences will not be honored within the church. We are first and foremost Jesus's church, it's the body of Jesus. And you know, we have chosen to not have spiritual boxing matches over our preferences. It says here, To which indeed you were called in one body. Again, this piece can't be shown to be the powerful force it is if it's just me and Jesus. It happens in community, the community of the church, and lifts up our powerful God by us letting the peace of Christ rule in our midst. Practically, we should live in a way together as a church that demonstrates to the world around us that Jesus has made us at peace with God and that therefore we are at peace with each other, that uh, he has brought us into right relationship with him and that empowers and motivates us to live in right relationship to other Christians specifically those in the body that we have covenanted together to live. And then you see in uh, the end of verse 15, Paul closes this verse with a familiar refrain. It says very simply, and be thankful. So lastly, in order to reflect our restored image of God, we must respond With thanksgiving. Again, this is not an individual disposition. This is the community giving thanks to God by worshiping Jesus. This thankfulness is rooted in what God has done for us. Uh, This thankfulness motivates our expression of love and the rule of the peace of Christ in our midst that is necessary for all these virtues to exist within us as a church. And how does this work itself out? Well, you're gonna to have to come back next week, but just a little sneak preview that it works itself out in teaching in singing and in everything we do. Paul is calling us to put on character which reflects the image of God in us. Uh, This involves virtue formed in the context of the church, Jesus' body. This virtue is united with love as we are ruled by the peace of God and should result in us giving thanks as a body to Jesus as we live out our new identity as God's chosen people, his holy ones, beloved. Certainly not trying to earn God's favor. That's something as Christians here today, we have already received and we did nothing to deserve it, but living out that new identity as the church, as gospel community. And let's start by giving thanks to God right now. Father God, we thank you for calling us chosen, holy, beloved, that we are true Israel, that we are this new man you have created We thank you for that identity. And I pray as we pursue these virtues that we wouldn't pursue it just by ourselves, but would pursue it together as a group of Christians, that we would practice these to one another, not just try to perfect them by ourselves, that that we need each other and that only in relation to each other as a community will we see the extent to which you've, you've called us the radical nature of this love, this forgiveness, this peace of Christ ruling in our midst. And I pray as we a celebrate communion as we sing that we as a body together would demonstrate thankfulness and rejoice in you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.